And so, Lord God, uh, if, if we were a monster, if I were a monster, what would you do? Father, we ask that you would help us to preach your word, Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen. Make sure we have the right ingredients. <laughs> well, uh, how many of you were here last week? Some of you? Good, good, good. Well, you know, if you've been here for a while, that for, gosh, about five weeks now, I think we've been preaching out of John chapter 6. And John chapter 6 is just this crazy, amazing chapter of Scripture. At the start of John chapter 6, uh, Jesus feeds the multitude with, like, miracle bread, and then crowds chase him in order to make him king. I mean, at the start of John chapter 6, Jesus is a pop star. But by the end of John chapter 6, all the crowds leave, and Jesus turns to his disciples and he said, so are you guys going to go too? You see, he's offended them. And last week, we began preaching about that offense. Uh, in Greek, the scandalon. It's where we get our word scandal. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? You see, they're offended. So what does Jesus do? Does he back off? Verse 53. So Jesus said to them, I'm telling you, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, well, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? So at the start of the chapter, Jesus makes some bread. And, and they really like the bread. I mean, they all took the bread. They, they, they liked the miracles. They liked the walking on the water deal. Uh, they, they were ready to form a movement and print some T-shirts and vote Jesus into office. They came to the light. But now the light began to burn. And like we talked about last time, and as you know, uh, light burns zombies and vampires. John already told us, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds, their works were evil. So Jesus is the light, and the light is love. And so love burns away the darkness where we hide our sin, our self, our monster self. Last week, we preached that apart from Jesus, we are the walking dead, enslaved to sin, our monster self. Sin is taking another's life to feed our own death, our empty selves. And apart from Christ, we are zombies and vampires. We deny that fact. 
But denying that fact traps us in that fact by means of an illusion, an illusion that is the beginning of hell, arrogance, envy, rivalry, resentment, rage. So in John 6, Jesus tells us that we must eat his flesh, drink his blood, and then unless we do, we have no life in us. That's offensive. It reveals that we are the walking dead, the walking dead. And in order to live, we must confess our zombie and vampire ways, confess the monster, confess the monster. <laughs> but we hide the monster. We say, I'm not a monster. June 22nd, 1991, Milwaukee police found a monster hiding in our midst. His house was full of the grisly remains of young men that he had murdered and then cannibalized, ate the flesh, drank the blood. His name was Jeffrey Dahmer. He was indicted on 17 counts of murder and sentenced to 957 years of incarceration. Recently, I watched an old video of Jeffrey Dahmer. He said it all started as, as a boy when he would dissect animals. He would dissect animals and take them apart to look inside because he said he was fascinated with the wonder of life. He wanted to understand it. He wanted to know the mystery we call life, and so he'd take life. And yet that life would be dead after he took it. The serpent said to Eve, Take, Eve. Take from the tree in the middle of the garden. But God had said, The day you eat of it, you will die. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was in the middle of the garden, says Genesis. And the tree of life was in the middle of the garden, says Genesis. Some rabbis taught that they were one tree. And in the new Jerusalem, the new Eden, there is one tree in the middle of the garden. And, and hey, did you know that the cross is referred to as a tree? Well, Dahmer said his desire became a compulsion and then it moved from animals to, to people. And, and we think, my gosh, what, what a monster. What on earth could possibly motivate a person to do such a thing? Well, this is what Dahmer said. But when he said it, he said it out loud. <laughs> so is the, is the audio not working, Ben?
Well, it's a good thing because I wrote down exactly what he said, okay? So you just saw his face, and this is what he said. He said there was really only one motive, to completely control a person, a person I found physically attractive and keep them with me as long as possible, even if it meant just keeping a part of them. Let me read it again. To completely control a person, a person I found physically attractive and keep them with me as long as possible, even if it meant just keeping a part of them. Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes and to be desired to make one wise, she took and ate. Why did you come to Jesus? Did you want to know about life, about good and evil, in order to make yourself wise? Did you want Jesus, um, want him, you know, really want him to keep him with you as long as possible, even if it meant just keeping a part of him, you know, that that part you like, like, like the miracle bread and the walking on water thing. Why did you get married? Why do you have the friends that that you do? Are you attracted to a person such that that you wanna like keep that person, even a piece of that person with, with you, with you at all times, control that person? Now listen, I am not saying that Jeffrey Dahmer was not a monster. I'm saying that maybe We all are a monster. Maybe the very thing that we call love is really lust. Consumption. Codependence. Maybe even the very thing that we call faith is sin. That is, taking the knowledge of good and evil in an effort to control God. I mean, isn't that what most religion is? Dissecting God, taking the knowledge of good and evil in an effort to control God. Let's dissect God to learn some stuff about God so we can possess God, control God, and get God to do our will, our free will. You know, get him to end poverty. Get him to make our country great. In the New Testament, one man is portrayed as a monster perhaps more than any other. And this man certainly appears to like Jesus. In fact, he really, really likes Jesus. In fact, he wanted to use Jesus to end poverty and make his country great, his country Israel great. He wasn't a pagan Roman sinner. He was a religious Jew. In fact, his name was Judas. From the house of Judah which was Jesus' very own family, his very own tribe. I think he he really admired Jesus. He kissed Jesus, and Jesus called him friend. He he liked Jesus, but you see, he was frustrated with Jesus because he couldn't control Jesus. And so Judas handed him over to the Jews of Judah. He, He just gave him over. I mean, Jesus was a 
a public figure. Everybody knew who he was. All he did was inform them where they could, where they could find him late one night, not in front of the crowds. He just gave them over. And when he found out that they were going to kill him, Matthew records that he repented himself. I'm not saying that Judas wasn't a monster. I'm just saying maybe all of us are monsters too. The New Testament portrays him as a monster, but a monster that represents Judah and Israel and the people of God, and we are the people of God. And by the way, according to Scripture, he wasn't the worst of sinners. Did you know that? That was another guy. Well, last time we talked about the offense of the cross. It reveals that we're monsters, that we are sinners. But, but I don't think we've yet tackled the very heart of the, of the scandal. You see, some of you last week may have been thinking, maybe you still think, okay, okay, fine. I'm a, a zombie and a vampire, or I was a zombie and a vampire, but now I understand Jesus. I like Jesus. And so I came to Jesus. I chose Jesus, I decided to follow Jesus. If that's you, you may just be hiding the monster. And if so, let's hope that that we can smoke him out and offend him to death. Amen. Amen. Verse 61, Jesus said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? And remember, he ascends by means of of a cross, a, a, a tree. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, do not trust. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Jesus said, this is why I told you, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Does that kind of offend you? No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you guys want to go too? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I mean, where else will we go? It's like like we're trapped. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, the twelve, and one of you is a devil. Diabolos. It means slander. It's used to refer to people and to refer to Satan. One of you is a diabolos. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Now, this is really important, but that word betray is a Greek word, the Greek word paradidomai, and it literally means give over or or hand over. And Scripture makes it um, very clear that Judas was not the only one that gave Jesus over. 
Mark 15, the elders describes the council give Jesus over to, to Pilate. But the translators often use another word. Matthew 27, they the chief are translated into an English, another word. Same Greek word. Matthew 27, they the chief priests and the crowd gave him over as they chant, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. John 18, 30, the Jews gave Jesus over. Like John told us, he came to his own home and his own people and his own people received him not. I'm not saying that Judas wasn't a monster. I'm saying he wasn't the only monster. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered, gave over, parodidomai, to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, given over, Parodidomai took bread and, and he broke it and, and he gave it saying, take and eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do, 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 you, do you get that? Paul says, I gave over the reality that Jesus was given over. I gave over Jesus. I think he's saying every time I serve communion, every time we take communion, every time we lay our sins at the foot of the cross, we, we give Jesus over. After all, he was crucified for our sins, right? Not just the sins of, of Judas. We give him over. And check this out. Jesus gives himself over. He delivered himself up. He gave himself over for me. That's Galatians 2.20, Apostle Paul. John 19.30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowed his head and parodidomai, gave over, gave up his spirit. He died for me. He died for Paul. He died for the sins of the whole world. He died for you. He betrayed his own life for me, and I think he betrayed his own life for Judas as well. But tragically, Judas betrayed his own life before he could see that Jesus had done it for him. Judas hung himself. He hung himself on a tree before he could see that Jesus was hung on a tree in his place. In other words, Judas judged himself because he did not trust the judgment that is Jesus. But you know, according to, to Scripture, Judas wasn't the worst sinner. 1 Timothy 1.15, the Apostle Paul says, I am foremost of sinners and and read scripture acts 22 paul parodidomai gave over believers to persecution imprisonment and death and whatever he had done to the least of them he did to jesus in fact jesus even said it when he met paul on the road to damascus he said saul saul why are you persecuting me you see, Saul of Tarsus, who we know of as St. Paul, he was a monster. And yet he's the guy that wrote more books of the Bible than anybody else. You see, Paul was like Judas. 
born again. Well, I hope you see Judas wasn't the only one that, that betrayed Jesus. And Judas wasn't the only one that was offended by Jesus. Matthew 26, 31, right after the Last Supper, right before he's, he's handed over, he says to his disciples, you will all be scandalizo, offended by me, at me, with me this night. See, I think we make Judas the scapegoat, don't we? We make him a monster in a way that we are not a monster. Anthropologists say every society makes scapegoats. It's either a group or some person with whom or to whom we attribute all of our evil. Someone we make last so that we can be first. That's the scapegoat. Well, according to Scripture, there, there is a scapegoat. But it's not Judas. We want it to be Judas or, or Pilate or, or the Jews or perhaps our in-laws or the liberals or the conservatives or, you know, people lost in hell. And, and then we like to say, they chose it. Well, they chose it as if we didn't. And so we say, well, sure, 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 I was a monster, but I chose to follow Jesus. Listen to what you're saying. I, the monster, chose to trust, which is to not be a monster. I chose to come to Jesus. I chose to trust by my own free will. So my choice saved me. My will saved me. Well, what if your will is the monster. You know, it wasn't you that saved you from you and brought you to Jesus. Offended? If so, that may be the monster. Verse 64, Jesus talks about those that don't trust, don't believe. And John mentions Judas as an example. Then just when we think, hey, I ought to despise Judas, next verse, Jesus says, Jesus says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Then verse 66, many turned away. They were offended. Check out these verses that we've already read in John chapter 6, but we didn't focus on them earlier, but check them out now. Verse 37, all, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Verse 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. All the Father chooses, all the Father chooses will come. And no one can come unless the Father chooses. Get that? You know that thing we call free will? 
that we walk around and say, oh, well, God's given us free will. He's given us all free will. You know that thing we call free will? Well, maybe it's, it's not really free. And actually, it didn't save you. It damned you. It's the monster. It's the thing that chose to take the fruit and dissect the life, that chose to take the knowledge of good and evil, the thing that saw life, wanted to control life, and took life to itself. You know, Eve really never had free will. I mean, she never was free to choose the good. How could she choose the good? She didn't know what it was. What he was. Who he is. Not yet. She couldn't choose him. We couldn't choose him. John 15, verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Well, that's kind of clear. John 6, 30, 37, all, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and I will never cast out Oh, that's amazing, all that he gives me. How much does he give? John 3, 35. The Father has given all things into the, to the Son's hand. Wow, I mean, that's incredible. Does all things include Judas? Verse 70, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And one of you is a devil, a slanderer. The, well, that's, that's confusing. But this much seems to be pretty clear. The reason the 11 trust Jesus and Judas does not, the reason that the 11 come to Jesus and Judas does not, really doesn't depend on their will or their exertion. Romans 9.11, it does not depend on human will or exertion. The reason you uh, came to Jesus, the reason, you surrendered the monster was not your choice, not your will, not your effort. It does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. How much mercy? Two chapters later, Romans eleven thirty two. 32, mercy on all. Well, Judas didn't come to Jesus. But that doesn't mean that he never comes to Jesus or that Jesus never goes to him. Well, this is wild, but in 1 Corinthians 15, 5, Paul writes that the resurrected Jesus appeared to the twelve. And because of the context, he sure doesn't seem to mean Judas's replacement, Matthias, but it seems to mean Jesus. I mean, it's like Jesus appeared to Judas in hell. You know, we say Jesus descended into hell. And just because Judas is the son of perdition, destruction, that doesn't mean that God can't make him new. Check this out. Judas hung himself in the potter's field in the valley of Gehenna. 
With the 30 pieces of silver, with the blood money that Judas threw back into the temple in Matthew 27, with the blood money, the priests purchased the potter's field. That means with his life's blood, Jesus purchased the potter's field in the valley of Gehenna in which Judas was destroyed, bursting open like a potter's vessel. And check this out, Jesus is the potter. Amazing. And it just makes you wonder. And so a a few years ago, um, my life was thrown into turmoil. Many of, of your lives, the people in this room were thrown into turmoil because I said publicly, you know, I think maybe, I think maybe Jesus just might pull it off. That after, after hell, after destruction, after judgment, he, he might really make all things new, like he said. And every knee will bow and every tongue will give praise. And like Isaiah prophesies, all flesh shall come worship before him. Maybe. And wow. People were scandalized. I mean, pastors, leaders, so incredibly offended. I mean, not just like asking questions about exegesis and stuff like that, but like deeply, deeply offended. And so honestly, for five and a half years since I preached a sermon on December 5th, 2004, I've been asking this question, why? Why are they so offended? Well, I think it's this. The grace of God offends the monster. The religious monster. The monster that says, I'm saved. I'm saved because I chose. I have decided. I'm saved because I decided. I answered the test question correctly. I'm saved because of my knowledge of good and evil and my good judgment, my choice. I chose the good. And people will say things like this to me that, that, that's mystified me. They'll say, Peter, it seems like you're diminishing the work of the cross. And, and then I wonder, how can I diminish the work of the cross by suggesting it just might work always and never fail? I've thought about it for five and a half years. And, and, and you see, I think most people, I think this is it. I think most people see the cross as a test that we can pass or fail. Or perhaps they see it as the last question on this long test full of all these other questions. And if we get this question correct, it trumps all the other questions, like all the other tests, like did you lie, did you cheat, whatever. It trumps those and so we call it grace. And yet it's still a test, a question that we can pass or fail. And now listen very closely. It is a test. Jesus and his cross is the test 
It is the judgment of this world. It's the whole test. It's the test. It's the test that all humanity fails and has already failed. All humanity was offended, scandalized by the love of God poured out in Christ Jesus. This is the judgment, this is the test, writes John, that the light has come into the world and people were offended. Love darkness rather than light. All humanity nails him to the tree. In the Old Testament, Joshua and Moses, they, they cry out, they cry, choose this day whom you will serve. And then they each prophesy that Israel will choose evil. For the truth is, we had already chosen evil, but wouldn't admit our choice of evil, for we began to hide the monster. The cross is the test that all humanity failed in a garden long ago. The cross, the tree, is the test that all humanity fails. And Jesus passes, remaining faithful unto death. But he not only passes, he passes on our behalf as he cries, it is finished, bows his head, and parodidomai gives up, hands over, gives up his spirit, his spirit given to the Father, and the Father who then sends it to us into the depths of our heart. That's where we cry out, Daddy, Father, Abba. Galatians 4, 6, listen to this. Because you are sons, not just monsters, sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Daddy, Father. You see, when you do that, that's not just you. And it wasn't just you that passed the test. Everyone has already failed the test and Jesus has already passed the test. Passed it. We failed. He passed. You, you, don't anyone, you don't need anybody else to lose so that you can win. You've already lost and he's already won. And check this out. He won by losing on our behalf. And so he says to all the sinners, look, look, look. You don't need a scapegoat. I'm your damn scapegoat. I was God damned on your behalf. And he says to all the zombies and, and the vampires, he says, you want flesh to eat? You want blood to drink? Eat me. Drink me. And when you do, it's not your good choice. It's my good choice. You see, no one chooses Jesus except by the very spirit of Jesus. God sets the trap, ambushes you with grace with Jesus, and then sends his spirit 
into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So no one is saved by their own choice, and you can only be saved by God's choice. Yet God even uses all of our bad choices to display his good choice, and with his good choice, he transforms all of our bad choices into his good choice, his new creation, Christ in you. This is God's Good choice. Kabilule wa okulu tenau kishmi ilkomi hiv. saved by grace through faith and uh, this this faith is not of yourself it is the gift of God lest none should boast who can boast at the foot of that cross only a monster but not forever. Do you see the monsters around that cross? John, the son of thunder who wanted to call down fire on an entire Samaritan village, who would soon become John, the apostle of love. Mary, the prostitute, who was now the church, the bride of Christ. A thief who, who would soon say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. A Roman centurion who would drop to his knees and cry out, surely this was the Son of God. And did you see the ones that, that crucified him? I, I don't know if they, you saw the movie. I don't know if they were in this clip, but, the, but they're all around there. And what I mean by that is the men like, like Judas, like Paul, religious men, because you see, they were attracted to Jesus, yet offended by Jesus because they couldn't control Jesus. 
You see, they, they, they didn't really love Jesus. They liked Jesus and so wanted to be Jesus. And so they tried to cannibalize Jesus. Maybe we all do. And so they took the fruit from the tree, body broken and blood shed. But God gave the fruit from the tree, on the tree, life. You see, they took the fruit, which is the knowledge of their evil, and God gave them that fruit. He forgave them that fruit, which is the knowledge of the good. He is the good. He is life. We monsters take Christ's body and blood. It's sin. It is the disease. Yet God gives, he forgives Christ's body and blood, telling us to take it. It is the antidote to the disease, the forgiveness of sins. You see, Jesus and his cross is like a, a monster trap. Do you get that? A monster trap. No one comes to Christ with good motives. Why? We're monsters. No one comes to Christ with good motives for all a monster has is bad motives. We come to Christ with no motives but bad motives and God traps us and gives us his motive, grace. We come to Christ in fear but Christ is perfect love and perfect love casts out fear. We come to Christ as takers and God turns us into givers, into lovers. Richard Rohr wrote this, the great and merciful surprise is that we come to God not by doing it right, but by doing it wrong. Years ago, I, I told you this several times because I still just find it totally amazing. God miraculously revealed to me that I entered the ministry because I was so angry at his church. That was my motive. You see, he trapped me by, by means of my sin <laughs> and is transforming in, into grace. I mean, maybe that's all he had to, to work with. You see, Jesus and his cross, it, it's like a monster trap. We, we think we chose him and all along he's choosing us and that is just so good uh, for perhaps we have nothing to choose him with but, but sin. Sometime in the mid-1990s, I heard that Jeffrey Dahmer had converted. You know, he had been an atheist. He said he was an atheist, but in 1994, he was baptized in the prison whirlpool. And people that were close to him, or people around him, I don't know if anybody was close to him at the time, they said his faith, it seems genuine, it seems sincere, and it really caused quite a stir in, in our culture uh, among believers who, who wondered if it could be true, and many who didn't want it to be true, and, and unbelievers who were angry at the talk of forgiveness. How could you talk about forgiveness with a man like that? Well, I remember thinking about it one day, and all at once it it made sense. Sense about him and sense about me. You know that evil cannot create, right? It can only corrupt. So even a bad motive is somehow a good motive that's been corrupted. Original sin was wanting a good thing. God made that tree. It was wanting a good thing, but taking it in, in the wrong way, taking rather than, than receiving. Well, you see, suddenly, as I thought about Jeffrey Dahmer, it, it made sense. 
Jeffrey Dahmer had encountered body broken that was true food. Jeffrey Dahmer had encountered bloodshed that was true drink. And sure, sure, I mean, for all of his life, maybe he saw something that was a delight to the eyes and, and good for food to be desired to make one wise, and so he took, and that was evil. He took, but God gave. God forgave and trapped a monster and judged a monster and turned a monster into a picture of grace. And God is grace. And we are being created in his image. We see, I don't think that that story is that much different than my story. Or that much different than your story. Offended? See, we'd like to think uh, Jeffrey Dahmer is fundamentally different than us. We, like, we are, we'll say this. We're like, well, yeah, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, but Jeffrey Dahmer is like super-duper-duper dead in his trespasses and sins. And if we've come to Christ, we like to think it's, it's because we made a good choice. We chose to come with good motives. See, we'd like to think that we made a good choice because guys like Jeffrey Dahmer make a bad choice. You see, we'd like to kind of like, well, you know, feed on his failures in order to feel like, like a success. I mean, there's something in us that would like to kind of like feed on his failure. But then aren't we doing the very same thing to Jeffrey Dahmer? that Jeffrey Dahmer did to his victims? The only difference is that instead of being physical cannibals, we're spiritual cannibals, the very worst kind. You see, when we feed on other people's failures, we feed the monster and we trap ourselves in hell. Jane Love um, helps out with some of our ministries here at church, particularly the prophetic ministry leading that. And several years ago, she was here last night, but a, a few years ago, she sent me this email where she described an incident that dramatically changed her life. You see, Jane was abused by her father as a little girl, and she struggled for years with unforgiveness, bitterness, and, and rage. She struggled until one day, several years ago, when she happened to turn on the television and happened to watch part of a show on Jeffrey Dahmer. She shared that she was just flooded with anger as she began watching it, and she remembered the reports as they had come out in Chicago because she lived nearby at the time, and how incredibly furious uh, she was then and how she thought to herself, well, if they don't put him away, I'm going to hunt him down and I'm going to do it myself. How wretched, how evil it all was. On the show, family members of Dahmer's victims were venting their rage, and Jane said in this note, and Peter, I was starting to vent my rage in, in my heart, and as I was doing that, she said, all at once, I heard God speak. 
And this is what he said. I love Jeffrey Dahmer as much as I love you. Then I got it, she writes. His love for all mankind, she continues, and how he could love those who tortured his son. Later I heard how Dahmer came to Christ in prison. Some said it was impossible, but I believe that God was telling me that he could change any heart. And you see, God used Jeffrey Dahmer to change Jane Love's heart. For it was then that she forgave her father. It was then that she began to live free. It was then that she surrendered her monster to Jesus. Or I should say, Jesus set the trap and caused her to lay that monster down. And, and, and now just think of this. Jesus is like a monster trap that trapped Jeffrey Dahmer. And Jeffrey Dahmer became a monster trap that trapped Jane Love. And Jane Love became a monster trap that trapped her father. She forgave him, and before he died, he, he, he came to Jesus. And you see, I think God uses it all. But do you understand? We eat body broken and bloodshed, and we become body broken and bloodshed. In other words, we forgive. And then we're free. No longer a monster but a monster trap in the image of our Father. And so, on the night that he was given over, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given to you. What we took is now given in love, forgiven to us. This is my body given to you. Our bridegroom says to his bride, take and eat. And in the same manner, after supper, um, he took the cup, saying, this uh, cup is my blood of the covenant, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, in remembrance of me. And so I'm saying to you, come to the table. But when you come to the table, you need to understand you did not choose him. He chose you. You did not choose the good. The good chose you. He chose you. And you see, at first, that's offensive. And then it sets you free. Because just think about it a minute here. Do you see what this means? Do you realize you're no better than anyone else? No better than anyone else. You're no better than in any, anyone else because, well, every good choice in you is him. And every bad choice is that that old monster. You're no better than anyone else and you cannot make yourself better than anyone else. Do you realize just how, how liberating that is? 
you know better than anyone else? You can only have then compassion on everyone else. You can love and be loved in freedom. That's God's free will in you. So in the name of Jesus, believe the gospel and worship. And so, Father, I thank you for making beautiful things out of us. But, Lord God, you know how I complain to you. I mean, I was just complaining this week, I, I know, feeling like I was trapped and kind of offended. Lord God, I thank you that you trapped me like Peter in John chapter 6. And you offend the monster in me. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the light and you are the truth and you are destroying that monster because it's that monster that makes me want to feed on the people in this room, to feed on the pastors down the street and around the city. It's that monster in me that wants to feed on other people's failure to make me feel better about myself. Lord God, kill that monster and set me free. Thank you that you are. You're setting us free, free to love like you. For you, Lord Jesus, are not the monster. You are light and you are love and you are beauty and you are truth and you are making us in your image and you are waking us up from the dead. And I have no stake in the dead, but only in the living. And so, Lord Jesus, may we rejoice in the life that you are pouring out upon us as you rise from the dead in us, the new creation that will never fail. Father, it's in Jesus' name that we thank you. Amen.